All right, gentlemen, good morning. Today's, uh, today's drinks have been generously donated by Caesar Mala in memory of his father-in-law, Allah Shalom. Eliyahu ben Leah, Eli Shalom, was a very special man, Baruch Hashem. This is your site. Tomorrow should be Le'elui Nishmato. And also in honor of the Hatana Kala. Ezat Hashem, this should be Zuchet to build a Bayit Neiman Israel. Amen. Okay. We start Sefer Shemot. The Pasuk says, after it lists the children of Yaakov Avinu that came to Egypt. It says, Vayhi, and it was, Kol Nefesh. Which means all, if you count all the people, the offsprings of Yaakov Avinu that came to Egypt was 70. And Yosef was in Egypt. Says Rashi, Alava Shalom. Which means that Yosef and his children were part of the 70. When the Pasuk says there were 70, Yosef and his children are included in the count of 70. So how do you say, and there were 70, and Yosef was in Mitzrayim? And what are you coming to teach me? Meaning, already he's counted in the 70. And we knew already he was in Mitzrayim. How many parashiyot did we read about Yosef in Mitzrayim? So Rashi asks, We still don't know yet that Yosef was in Mitzrayim. Why does the Pasuk have to say that? It's coming to teach you the greatness of Yosef, the righteousness of Yosef. Who Yosef Aviv? He was Yosef that was shepherd for his father's sheep. Who Yosef He was the Yosef that was in Egypt. And he became a king, and he stood in his greatness, in his righteousness. This Rashi is telling us a very, very beautiful point in life. We to know how to measure a great person. The Torah went out of its way in the parasha to say, Ve'yosef haya be'mitzrayim. It means the Yosef that grew up in the home of Yaakov, the Yosef that had everything perfectly going for him, living in a beautiful family, having the perfect Hinuch, being around the right people. He had it all. Yosef at 17 had it all. From the royal family of Yaakov Avinu with all the great things that come with it. Ve Yosef 
Haya Bemitzrayim. That same Yosef stayed even when he went to Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim was a whole different story. Many, many challenges in Mitzrayim of all kinds. Physical, spiritual, the challenge of wealth, the challenge of taking revenge against his brothers, the challenge of so many things that he dealt with in Mitzrayim. The Yosef, the Yosef when he was 17, that easy life Yosef was the same Yosef when he didn't have it so easy. What Hazal and the Torah are teaching us is that the greatness of a person is determined by what they do when the times aren't so good. The fact that Yosef was great in Mitzrayim, before he was in Mitzrayim, that's beautiful. That's very nice. But if you really want to know the greatness of a person, it's only when the challenges of life comes. Whether they're monetary issues, whether they're social issues, relationship issues, spiritual issues. When the challenges of life come in the person's life, that avalanche comes and hits the person. And there is nobody in this world that doesn't have those moments. Even though we like sometimes to think that we're the victim and only we get those issues and everybody else seems to have everything easy. Everyone thinks that. But in reality, there is nobody that doesn't have those moments and situations of life that really put the person to the test. And we must realize that it is those, it's not that you'll become great despite those moments. When you're going through a hard time in life, you have to know it's those moments that actually determine your success in this world. Your greatness as a human being, your legacy that you build in this world has everything to do with those moments. And a person must realize that, that when they go through a hard time in any area in life, it is there that you are going to achieve your success or failure in life. The easy moments of life don't determine anything. The easy moments of life are the ones that you plant, you work, you learn, you do. We, we don't like to ask for difficulty and we don't ask for challenges. When life is good, it's a time to, for a person to work and invest in himself. But he should be anticipating and know that life will bring difficult moments and difficult days. And when those days come, he should know that they are the true test of his greatness. That's what we see by Abraham Avinu. Elohim Abraham. Abraham Avinu's greatest achievement was from the most difficult time in his life. So the Torah here went out of its way to tell us to remind us and highlight for us for us to remember that if you're going through a difficult chapter in your life 
in whatever area it is, remember, the chapter is what's going to make you. So stand up to it, strengthen yourself, and make sure you make all the right choices. Do not write it off as a write-off of, oh, the next month of my life, or the, this issue in my life, I got to put my greatness on hold, my life on hold, because I'm going through this issue. No, the opposite. Your challenges in life are the moments of your life. Yes, being successful is an avalanche of a challenge, even though sometimes you don't think it is because you feel everything is beautiful. But being successful is a tremendous challenge. And to go through that and still be the same person, the same quality person, the same son to your parents, the same friend to the people that you're close to, the same father, the same husband, the same humility, the same sweetness, the same values. Even though you made it in life, you made it, quote unquote. You think you made it and all of a sudden, it's a huge challenge. Yes, whoo, Yosef, the same person. His success did not change him. His failure did not change him. Whatever challenges he had, he stayed the great Yosef. Good. Next point. We find that, Yosef, that <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, was hidden with his mother and his father for three months. He had a three months she was pregnant. She gave birth early. So she had three months where she was able to hide him before they would find out that he was alive. So after three months, the Pasuk says, she hid him for three months and she couldn't hide him anymore. So she put him in the or she put him in the Nile, as we know the famous story. She put him in a box in the Nile. And the Pasuk says that the daughter of Paro went to bathe in the Nile. I guess the Nile was for royalty. Sounds like it wasn't a, a public beach. It was something that very Hashuv people would go. And the daughter of Paro went to bathe in the Nile with her helpers, with her servants. And she saw this box. She saw the box in the Nile River. She got the box, she opened it, she saw a child. She realized it's from the Jewish children. She had Rahmanut on him, she had compassion on him. The sister Miriam told Bat Paro, Ha'elech, should I go? Vekarati lach, should I call for you? Isha meneket min ha'ivriyot. Should I get you a wet nurse to feed this child from the Hebrew woman? Vetenik lach etayalid, so she can feed your child. Our rabbis ask, why did she tell her? Should I get you a Jewish wet nurse? Why did she need a Jewish wet nurse? The Gemara says, Gemara Masechet Sota is bothered by this question. When Miriam tells 
Bat Parosh, she asked someone to feed. Let me find you somebody to feed the child. Why did she tell her? Should I get you a Jewish woman? Meaning, if she wants to get a Jewish woman, she could choose that. Why would you have to tell her? Let me get you a Jewish woman. Tell her, let me get you a wet nurse. She goes and finds a Jewish woman. Great. She has to tell her, I'm going to get you a Jewish woman. Is there something wrong with an Egyptian woman? If you're talking to Bat Paro, you're going to Say, a Jewish woman, not an Egyptian woman? What's going on? Says the Gemara, Melamed. There's a little story behind the story. That when she found this baby, she went to find, you know, Bat Paro has the ability to find a wet nurse. She's the most powerful woman in Egypt. So she did. She went, Melamed sheheheziruhu lemoshe. They took Moshe and they gave him to a wet nurse, an Egyptian woman. He wouldn't eat. He would not drink. They went to another one. He would not drink. This is not Miriam coming and saying, can I help you? You don't go tell the daughter of Paro, can I help you? She's royalty. You're going to help her? You know why this happened? Because she was out of luck. The daughter of Paro was helpless. She tried this woman, that woman, and basically gave up. She couldn't find someone to feed the child. Maybe there's something wrong with this kid. This was not... A girl seeing her by the Nile and saying, you know, what can I do for you? It wasn't like that. There's a story behind it. And that's why she came to her and said, listen, maybe I can find you a Jewish wet nurse. How would that solve the problem? To find a Jewish wet nurse. Says the Gemara. The reason is, Amar, a mouth that will one day speak to the creator of the world. He will eat something that isn't kosher. So Miriam told Bat Paro, I don't know if it's a problem with them, but it's a problem with him. He is a special young boy. It could be he will not eat from the Egyptian woman because their milk comes from the food that they eat. It could be that he will only nurse from a Jewish woman. That could be the problem. And therefore, I think I have the solution for you. Let me see if I can get you a Jewish woman who eats kosher. Maybe he will be able to eat from her. That was what Miriam told Bat Paro. And in fact, she got her his mother and of course he nursed. So, this has to be a little bit understood. 
Moshe Rabbeinu is a, is a little boy. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't really have much of a choice at this age to choose kosher or not kosher. Obviously, the creator of the world, he put in the makeup of Moshe that he wouldn't drink from that milk. And why? Not about sinning. He wouldn't have sinned, Moshe Rabbeinu, if he drank from the milk. Especially in his situation, it was a pikuach nefesh, it was dangerous. Somebody on Yom Kippur is having a medical issue and they have to eat, we feed them. Somebody has to eat and they're starving and they're going to die, you give them non-kosher too. So obviously Moshe Rabbeinu here, if he would have eaten, A, he was not yet of age, so he's not responsible for his actions. There would be no sin. B, it wasn't his choice. C, it was pikuach nefesh. It was uh, a danger for him. So clearly, there would be nothing wrong. It would not be a sin, quote unquote, if Moshe Rabbeinu would eat or would drink from the milk of the Egyptian. Do not think that this means that Moshe Rabbeinu would have sinned because he would have drank from that milk. No sin. It was not Bar Mitzvah. It wasn't his fault. And it was a life-threatening situation. There's no sin whatsoever here. So why would it matter to the creator of the world to put in Moshe Rabbeinu's DNA that he would be allergic already from few months old that he couldn't stand you know sometimes people are not able to have certain things Hashem made it that way Hashem made Moshe Rabbeinu allergic to milk of a Goya why? the answer is what the Gemara says that food that comes into our mouth has an effect on our soul. People sometimes imagine that the kashrut laws are there for health reasons. So they're right on the, and they're wrong. It is for health reasons, but not physical health. Non-kosher food doesn't make you any weaker health-wise does it make you any more sick health-wise? And sometimes we look at people who eat non-kosher and say, what's the big deal? What's the issue? It's fine. Look, they're living 120 years. They're strong. They're powerful. Non-kosher is something that is unhealthy for the Jewish neshama. Not for the going neshama. For the Jewish neshama, Food that isn't kosher literally makes the neshama weak. What does it mean the neshama is weak? Let me explain to you what it means, the neshama is weak. It means, imagine you come to my house tonight on Friday night and you will enjoy your most beautiful Shabbat. You're not going to be enjoying so much the food, although it's very enjoyable, but you're going to be enjoying something beyond food. A certain atmosphere of Shabbat, 
a certain atmosphere of song, an atmosphere of Torah, an atmosphere of a certain elevated spiritual reality. A person with an infected soul is not capable of fully enjoying something spiritual. Just like if, God forbid, a person's mouth would be sick, they wouldn't be able to taste food in the way they should be able to taste it. If their teeth are hurting them, the food comes in and it's painful, their taste buds are not fully operating, the food comes in, they barely taste it. You're sitting there with a healthy mouth and you're loving it. This guy next to you can't get himself to enjoy it. He's in pain, can't taste so well, not hitting his body with the same pleasure. So too it is with the human, with the Jewish neshama. When the neshama of a Jew is eating food that isn't kosher, his neshama is being affected. He will go into a Shabbat and not love it and not enjoy it as much. He will open it out to learn and it won't be the same. Not saying he can't enjoy it at all, but clearly there's something wrong. The spiritual pleasures of life, he will not be able to attach himself to it. And he may look at it and say, oh, must be spirituality is Torah learning is not for me or it's not for anybody. Whoever's learning is probably a sketch. Can't be. What's here? There's nothing here. I don't see anything important about these mitzvot. You have another guy learning and he's loving it. Somebody asked me yesterday, interesting question. He interrogated me. I don't know why. He asked me a question. He wants to know what is the greatest pleasure in my life in whatever I do. So, I don't know. I think this is it. I told him, when you learn something new, when you're stuck in a pasuk, in a gemara, in a rashi, in a tosafot, and you can't understand it, and all of a sudden, you get it. It's, Something so beyond anything imaginable. It's such a pleasure. Now somebody else might be sitting on the table. I say, okay, oh, nice answer. Hazako Baruch. Shabbat Shalom. Very nice. Very, oh, wow. Question, answer is beautiful. But not the same. And it has to do with the Neshama's health. A mouth that would talk to Hashem if it has in it non-kosher, will not be able to do it. It's not a question of sinning. It's a question of reality. Hashem says this boy is going to be something special one day. He cannot reach that specialty if he eats something that isn't kosher. It's a reality of the food. It's not only about you doing right or wrong. A person might say, wait, but I maybe eat not the right things and <clears throat> still I enjoy Torah, I enjoy to learn. 
But I will tell you that even if a person is able to enjoy, but still he will find himself missing the power and the energy to fulfill what he's learning. He will find that he's not able to actually do what he's learning because the information, even though he enjoys it spiritually, but it's not connecting to his soul the way it's supposed to be. Let me tell you what it says in the Pasuk in Bayikra. The Pasuk says, when it comes to non-kosher, Al et nafshotechem. Do not make your souls disgusting. Bechol ashoretz, with all the different non-kosher foods, veloti tameu bahem. Do not make yourself tameh. Venitmetembam. And when you become tameh, you'll become tameh. Well, that seems to be repetitious, no? I'll read it again. Don't become, tame means impure. Don't become impure through them. And then you'll be impure. Same thing, no? What's that deb- double repetition? Again, I'll read it one more time. Don't become impure through the food. And you will be impure. If you look in the Torah, the word Tameh is spelled Tet Mem Aleph. Tameh. So Benit Metem should be spelled Vav Nun Venit Tet Mem Aleph Tav Mem. But if you look in the Torah, it's missing an Aleph. It's written venitmetem, but without the word letter aleph. Hazal say, why is it missing aleph? Because the word tameh, timtum, timmetum tam. They tell a guy who is lacking wisdom. You're met. Yeah, no, that's tam with a tav. It's similar. They're related. The tav and the tet, they're related. Metumta means you're dipped, you're foolish. The Torah wrote, Alti Don't make yourself tameh. And if you're wondering, where do I see the effects of this tum'ah? Venit metembam. Your neshama will become desensitized. You will be around the most beautiful and have the most amazing spiritual opportunities in front of you, you'll be able to hear a Dvar Torah from a rabbi, and it should be the most pleasurable, enlightening. It should change your soul. And you'll sit there and you'll say, what's going on here? What's so important about what he says? Someone will give you the most beautiful Shabbat, and you'll say, I don't taste anything. Someone will do the most amazing mitzvah. And he'll say, Ah, nothing special. Someone will go to pray. He'll sit down to pray. There used to be people, and they still are. Then when they walk away from prayer, they say, Ah, that was so tasty. It was a 
good men, Alava Shalom, I see him in Ahiezer. His name is Mr. Masleton. Wasn't a rabbi. He's a good man. He would always, I remember, he'd tell me. He says, I'm saying the tefillah, Baruch Adonai Yom Yom. Baruch Hashem is blessed. Yom Yom. He would tell me, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. <laughs> he said, ah, what a tefillah. What a tasty tefillah. A guy could sit in tefillah, walk out and say, what happened? Nothing just happened. A person could stop after the Amidah and taste, literally taste, the connection with the Creator of the world. But if a person is tam, metum tam, his soul is desensitized from, from able to taste spiritual pleasures. Shabbat lacking. Yes, I do certain things, but you're missing Shabbat because you don't know how to taste it. Because your soul could be infected. You're not appreciating the limud of the Torah. That pleasure of learning and understanding and elevating yourself. You can't taste it. Tefillah, you can't taste it. The mitzvot that are, even the ones that you're doing, don't feel like they mean very much. That's called venit metembam. It dummies down the neshama of a Jew. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, who's going to become not just a regular neshama, the most elevated neshama, if he would have eaten from that milk, he would not be capable. That neshama would be damaged and would not be capable of talking to Hashem. Therefore, he was protected. Jack said so beautifully that guess which letter is missing when you eat something that you shouldn't eat. Which letter from Benit Metem did Hashem take out that you became Metumtam? Which letter made your soul? It was missing the letter and made your soul Dummy down. Which letter? Aleph. Aleph is Ehad. Aleph is the creator of the world. Hashem Elokenu, Hashem Ehad. When you put things in your mouth that infect your soul, you took the Aleph out of your life. You took your ability to connect with the creator of the world. That is Emet. By the way, the Aleph isn't only because it's one. The word Aleph means aluf. What does aluf mean? The, the general. The leader of this world. So not only is it the number one, it's also the name of the letter. Not only is it the name of the letter, but it's even the way the letter is written. I don't know if you notice that the letter aleph in Hebrew is written with two yuds and a vav. It's a yud on top. Top right is a yud. Bottom left is a yud. And there's a vav that comes down. Spells yud ke vav ke. It's 26. It's Hashem's name. The aleph, the number aleph, one, 
the meaning of the word Aleph, general, the leader of the world, and even the way it's written, the makeup of the letter, is all screaming the creator of the world. When a person puts Tum'ah in his mouth, he is taking the place of the Aleph. And that's why there is no Hidush that a person can connect to Tahara, to purity, to Kedushan. Wow. Unbelievable. I want to stop right here, but I can't. By the way, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, my dear friends, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, in Yored Ah, it talks about the halachot of Kashrut. If you look, the Ramah over there says that really according to halacha, the milk of a Goya in the laws of Kashrut is equal to the milk of a Jewish woman. In the world of Kashrut, actually, whatever we're talking about today is actually kosher. We're not even talking about eating uh, uh, crabs. We're not talking about eating hazir. We're not talking about eating something really not kosher. We're talking about milk of a goya. Shulchan Aruch says milk of a goya is kosher. It's kosher. It says drama, even though it's kosher, Mikol Makom says drama, Lo yaniku tinok minamisrit. But don't feed your children from that milk, even though it's kosher. Why? The halav goya, the milk of a goya, says Shuharuch, metamtem alev. You want your children to be metumtam. You wake up in 16 years old and you're trying to give them hizuk to do kibud avaim, or to give them hizuk to become more patient. You want them to have better midot. You want them to have more connection to Torah and mitzvot. And you see, they're like, checked out. Metamtem, alev. You gave them something to desensitize their soul. Umolid lo It works against the characteristics of beauty. It puts in the wrong character. So says the Ramah, even though in the world of Kashrut, this is kosher, but it has a little bit of something not good. So better you don't give it to your children. Says the Gaon Mivilna. Where did I get it from? Where did he get it from? If it's kosher, so where did he get you really shouldn't do it? If you really want the best, don't do it. Says the, says the Gaon. He got it from the Gemara we just learned. From Moshe Rabbeinu. You see, meaning for a regular person, he would be able to get away with the milk of a Goya. But if you want to become Moshe Rabbeinu, you can have even the kosher milk that came from a Goya. Follow? A regular Jew can eat from that milk. But Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't be. So therefore, says the Ramah, 
Make sure you don't give your children the milk of a Goya, because then he can't be Moshe Rabbeinu. Wait, time out. Your son's going to be Moshe Rabbeinu? That I must tell you, if you want your son to be Moshe Rabbeinu, they'll don't give him this milk. My son's not going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. You see from this Ramah, the way a father and mother need to look at their son and daughter. You need to look at your son and daughter as a potential Moshe Rabbeinu. Don't look at them as, yeah, they're going to be okay, they're going to be regular. No, no, they're not going to be regular. You look at them, a father and mother, this, this Ramah is much more than about milk or not milk. This Ramah tells you how to look at your children. Don't sell them short. Look at your children as a potential greatest man that ever lived. That's how you look at your son. That's how you look at your daughter. When you don't look at your son and daughter that way, that's probably why they won't be that way. When you have a child, could you imagine your approach to this child? Imagine I told you in Nevoah, in prophecy, that this boy, just know, is going to be one of the greatest Jews that ever lived. And God chose your home to be the home to bring him up. Could you imagine you know that? You know how careful you would be that you're housing the next Moshe Rabbeinu? You'd be careful what's in his crib. Maybe you'd put pictures of Tzaddikim in his crib. You'd put on the right music in the house. You talk very carefully. You bring in, you buy a whole Sfarim in the house. You make sure there's no Tumah coming into the house. You make sure that everything, you, you have Moshe Rabbeinu living in your house. What are you going to do? You're going to make sure everything is top of the line to get ready the greatest person that ever lived. He's living in your home. He's in your crib right now. I bet we don't act that way towards our children. That's the, the Hidush of the Rahman. The Hidush of the Rahman is that it's true that this kind of milk is kosher. And it's only going to cause damage to a kid who will be Moshe Rabbeinu. But guess what? That's what you should look at your son. Your son is also Moshe Rabbeinu. Raise him to become a Moshe Rabbeinu. Look at him like a Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, don't give him that milk. Unbe what an unbelievable Rahman. What, a, what an unbelievable way to raise a child. Hashem gives you a child, the way you look at him is the way that you're going to behave around him and the way that you're going to raise him. When you look at him as, ah, okay, he'll be an okay Jew. You'll raise him as an okay Jew. When you think he's going to be less than okay, you'll raise him that way. Look at that kid and see the Moshe Rabbeinu. And by the way, it's not so far. The Rambam writes in al Chot Teshuvah, the Rambam writes, he says, do not let these thoughts pass in your mind. That the fools of the world say, and unfortunately even many Jews have that thought. What's which thought? Which thought? Which thought? That Hashem is the one who decrees on people. From the beginning of His creation. 
להיות צדיק או רשע. השם makes people awesome, he makes some people less awesome. If you were a tzaddik, you were born with that tzidkut. If you're not, so you're not. People look at the world. That guy, of course, he's a tzaddik because look who, look how Hashem made him. Don't think that way, says the Rambam. En adavar ken. Not so. Ela, kol adam, every person, ra'uilo lihiyot tzaddik ke Moshe Rabbeinu. Every person could be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu. Who is that person? You. The guy sitting in your chair. You. You don't believe it. You don't believe it. This Rambam is the reason why people don't elevate themselves in life. You should know that the guy sitting in your chair was given tremendous abilities to become a really great person and to leave a legacy of greatness for your family, for your children, and for your community, and for the Jewish people. You were given that legacy. Oh, excuse me, that ability. The guy sitting in your chair, you. But because you don't believe it, that's why you'll never be it. And you'll give yourself all kinds of excuses. Me, I didn't grow up in B'nai Brak. Me, my mother wasn't so righteous. Ah, my school didn't teach me. Me, I don't know, look at me, I'm not so smart. I'm already 40 years old. I'm already 67 years old. I'm already 70 years old. I'm already set in my ways. I've been living this way. How many things go in your mind to convince you that you could be nothing special in life? You are not special. You're a regular guy, a product of whatever regular things God gave you. And therefore, you have no shot of being anything great in this world. You leaving a legacy, a mark in the world that you lived in, that you, your grandson, will say, Oh, Grandpa, oh, Grandpa was one of the greatest people that I ever met. One of the greatest people that ever lived on this planet. My Grandpa, could that be you? No. Exactly. That's what my mom is telling you. He's telling you that's acting like a tipesh. You're acting like... It's right. It's right. The Rambam said it, not me. If you think that way, Rambam says you're tipesh. You're a fool. Moshe Rabbeinu started at 80. We start learning about him in today's parasha. When did Moshe Rabbeinu, all the great things that you know about Moshe Rabbeinu, all of the great accomplishments of Moshe Rabbeinu, when, when? Torah says, Torah says it by the way. It says it on purpose. Ve'aharon, excuse me. Moshe ben Shmonim Shana. And Moshe was 80 years old. Why does the Torah have to tell me he's 80 years old? Because Torah wants to tell you the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest man that ever lived, started his major mark in his life at 80 years old. The greatest man that ever lived, not only was 80 years old, he was handicapped. God told him, go talk to Paro. He says, God, are you kidding? I have a lisp. I don't speak well. You would think Moshe Rabbeinu gets up and speaks with the most eloquent. He doesn't. Moshe Rabbeinu has a lisp. He can't talk. He tells Hashem, do me a favor. Send somebody else who could talk. To be a leader, to be a person that represents your nation to Paro. 
I'm going to go. I can't talk to him. Guess what? He's arguing back and forth with God. I can't do it. God says, no, you're going. No, no, I can't do it. You're going. Let me ask you a question. Couldn't God make him perfect? Couldn't he fix his speech impediment? Today you have doctors. You go to them. If you have a stutter, they fix your stutter. You don't think Hashem could fix his mouth? Okay, from now on, Moshe Rabbeinu, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to be the greatest orator in the history of mankind. You don't think God can do that? Of course he can do that. Why didn't he do it? If he's preparing Moshe Rabbeinu from already three months old, to that he should become the man he became. Why didn't he give him the tools of speech? You know why? Because people might say, you know why Moshe Rabbeinu became great? Because look how great of a speaker he is. So, oh, I'm not a great speaker, so I can't do it. Hashem picked Moshe Rabbeinu. Look what he gave him. He grew up in the house of Paro. Could you imagine a worse Hinuch? Could you imagine a worse place to go to school than living in the home of Paro, the arrogant Paro? Could you imagine a worse place to grow up in? He grew up spoiled. He had all the money, all the comfort, all the Tum'ah of Egypt. Everything that you could imagine. You're going to tell me you had a worse Hinuch than that? Oh yeah, my parents were regular people. They were worse than Paro. He grew up in the house of Paro. He had no father and mother raising him. He was an orphan growing up in the house of Paro. He ran away from Egypt living somewhere by himself. He had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk normally. Why did Hashem do that? And why wait till he's 80 years old? Hashem said, listen to me. You think you have an excuse because you're old? Moshe Rabbeinu. You have an excuse you're not talented enough? Moshe Rabbeinu. You have an excuse you weren't raised in holiness? You have Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest man that ever lived, started later than you, had less of an upbringing than you, and had less talent than you. And he became the greatest man that ever lived. So the only one that's preventing you from being a Moshe Rabbeinu is you. And that's why you'll never become one. Because you actually don't believe that you could become one. And that's what the Ramah is teaching you. The Ramah is telling you when you have that kid in your home, make sure you have good eyes. Make sure you see the future Moshe Rabbeinu. The future great person in the Jewish nation is your son, is your daughter. And you treat him that way. And with that treatment... It's much more than a, a bottle of milk. It's a whole outlook of what you should see in your children. Don't sell them short. Don't sell yourself short. See the greatness that is sitting inside of them and give them all the tools to reach that greatness. Have a wonderful day.